All right, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, a study on how we apply the Word of God. So if you would with me, um, open up to James. So applying the Word of God. We're going to look this morning at the why, the what, the how, and the so what of James 1, verses 18 to 26. I'll pray, and then we'll read this passage. So Father, this morning we come before you. We are thankful for your word. We are thankful, God, that we have a privilege this morning to gather together in your name, Jesus, and to seek you, to study your word, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would enlighten us. Father, deepen these truths into the innermost part of our beings. God, that we would not just be hearers this morning, but be changed. Father, that we would be willing and yielding well to the leading of your Holy Spirit in our lives. That we would be doers of your word. So I pray that you give us insight and clarity this morning. We ask in your name. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's take a look here together at James chapter 1, verse 18 to 26. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so, then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man, observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not forgetful, a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives himself, deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. I remember hearing the story of uh, John Newton, okay, the uh, Balinist, the, the guy who authored the uh, hymn that we are all very familiar with, Amazing Grace. He said that when his wife of 40 years died, whom he really loved, it was difficult but he was able to handle it by the grace of God. But when his plans for the day, the regular routine of the day, were ruined, he couldn't function well. You see, life is not usually lived in big moments, are they? But they're in the daily littles. Usually lived out in those daily littles. Diapers, traffic, interruptions emails, phone calls, the boss, 
wanting just a little bit of appreciation in life, wanting a word from somebody, uh, you know, that you spoke to, um, whatever. The questions is, for us this morning, how do we, as believers, apply Scripture to our everydayness of life, or better yet, how can we enter into an extraordinary story of God in our ordinariness lives? You see, James says that there is freedom, there's liberty and blessing that comes as a result of applying the word in our everydayness of life, of living out this story of God. So how do we do that? Well, James says, you got to accept God's word. What? That's your answer, oh wise one? Just read the Bible? Is that what I said? You see, I said you have to receive the word. Not just read the word, but receive the word that it might take place in your life actively work in your life that you have an experience from it that something would happen when you do read you receive and something unexpected takes place so why must we accept it well let's take a look again at verse 18 of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits in his creatures so then my beloved brethren let every man be swift to hear slow to speak slow to wrath for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of god therefore lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls so you must accept it you must receive the word of god there are many hearers of the word. Many people know the truths of the Bible. They know who God is and what Jesus has done for them and why he had to die upon the cross and the significance of him rising from the dead. And they're going to be in hell for all eternity because they were only hearers of the word. They never accepted, they never received the word. Do you guys understand why it's so important that we must accept it? There are people sitting in churches today that think they're okay because they are hearers of the word of God. They never apply it by faith to their lives. There may be some of you here this morning, yeah, I've heard this, I hear the gospel, I hear the message, I hear what the word of God says, but you've not accepted it personally. Hearing isn't enough, guys. And that's why James is so clear for us here this morning. It makes this point so important for us to understand. Now, you guys may have read this here and said, hey, wait a minute, there's a contradiction. It seems to be a contradiction at first when James says that you must receive the word of God. And then in verse 18, he gives a couple of distinguishing marks of a Christian. A Christian is someone that is or has been born again. That's what he's talking about in verse 18. This method of salvation is what really sets Christian faith apart from every other religion upon the earth. So the Christian way of salvation is not turning over a new leaf, is it? 
Christianity is about becoming a new creation, and that's God's doing. It's faith through Christ. So in verse 18 and 21, James also says that the distinguishing mark of a real believer is that they have a new relationship to the word of God. So we see brought forth in verse 18. He's brought us forth or born again by the word of truth. A person is born again how? By the word of truth. Some will say that's not the way a person comes to faith. God does something else in order to make a person believe. Well, Romans 10, 17 tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. James tells us here it's by the word of God. Why do you think God has told us to go in all the world and to preach the good news? Because people need to hear that they may believe. So, if you study church history, I love the Great Awakening a revival that took place in the 17th century. If you study it at length, one thing was happening. People were accepting the word of God. They wanted to receive it. Not just to hear sermons. They wanted to receive the word that they could go do something. And the gospel is spreading like wildfire. You see, why then does he now say to us in verse 21 that you must receive the word of God? Well, there's a way to read the Bible, but not have it really affect you. You see, when you read this section, it's pretty obvious that it's dealing with how we should apply the Word of God into our lives. But then it's almost interpreted by some tangent that James goes on, and it says in verse 19, Look, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So why does he use anger as a test of whether or not you are really receiving the word of God? He's not saying that anger in and of itself is sin. You see, anger of itself is energy, and it can be helpful at times. In fact, if we study the scriptures, aren't we told in Ephesians chapter 4, to be angry? but don't sin. We're also told to be angry at injustice and evil. I'll never vote as a Democrat for one reason. I'm angry about abortion. That is a righteous anger. And why we have allowed this to go on for as long as it has been, and the church hasn't spoken up the way they have, that gets me angry. <laughs> But I'm angry enough to say, hey, I won't even vote for that party just for that sole reason, period. You guys, God gets angry. Have you read the Bible? <laughs> Does he get angry? Yeah. Is God loving? Yep. He's just, too. He wants justice, and he gets fired up. It's good to learn his heart. You see, God gets angry. Jesus gets angry in the Gospels, but he gets angry well, doesn't he? You see, his anger is slow. It's his burning righteousness, justice, and he's protective. That's the heart of our Father. Isn't he watching out for those 
who can't watch out for themselves? Isn't that his heart? Absolutely. You see, the anger that he speaks of here is a selfish, sinful anger. It's really the root of idolatry. It is fast to speak the mind, not because you have violated the law of God's kingdom, but because you violate the laws of my kingdom, your kingdom. Well, you say, I don't really struggle with anger. Yeah, perhaps you don't fly off the handle and have blow-ups, that kind of anger. Maybe you deal with conflict. Um, you don't ever blow up but you actually clam up. You give silent treatment. You want that person to feel your wrath, but you are a cowardice to say anything because of your idol being that of acceptance. So why receive? What's the reason why we must receive the word of God on a continuous basis? It's because God's standard is different than yours, and it's different than our culture. So what you and I call a temper problem or an anger problem, God calls what? Wickedness and filth. It is rooted in pride. It's rooted in you being the king. It's rooted in what's really gross <laughs> is that there's that temptation, even within the church, to be misguided and not really go along with what God has declared because we want this. God, we're doing it this way, despite what your word may say. Shame on us. You see, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God or the righteous life that God requires. You see, God is righteous, isn't he? What does that mean? It means he's always right, right? And he does no wrong. God is righteous. He's completely right. And because of that, you could hear James say, the worry of man, the flakiness, the unfaithfulness, the lying words, the cheating of man, the jealousy of man, the gossip of man, the self-pity of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So you've come under its authority. This is what you have said. I'm going to receive that truth because I know my thinking is not right. But you are right. Jonah, great example of a man who knew the scriptures. He read them. He even quoted them. He was a prophet of God. Yet, when it was time to do it, he either interpreted them to his liking or he actually refused it altogether. He's like Louis C.K. He said this, I have lots of beliefs and I live by none of them. That's just the way I am. They're just my beliefs. I just like believing them. I like that part. They're my little beliefs. They make me feel good about who I am. But if they get in the way of a thing I want, I sure as heck do that. Isn't that the mentality of many? I'm going to give you guys a teaser. How do we receive it then? We'll talk about that in a little bit. First, I want to look at what it looks like to accept it. Okay? 
Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Verse 22. So what does it look like to participate in God's story? To participate in what he has set forth? We care about the poor, don't we? That's being a part of it. Social morality. I want to see the good of all people. I pray for the nations. I pray for my own nation. I pray for my community. I pray for my neighbors. I pray for my church family. (laughs) I want to see us doing well. God's ways, well, they're way better than ours. You see, reading the Bible if we do not do it rightly, can get us into a lot of trouble. The Christian community is concerned with how we read the Bible as that we read it. In Luke 10, verse 26, Jesus asked the scholar, how do you read it? Not what did you read? So why does the scholar ask for a definition? Clearly, because he needs to defend himself against the responsibility, okay, or responding to the text, the word of God, personally. Defining neighbor depersonalizes the neighbor, turns him or her into an object or a thing over which he can take control and do whatever he wants to do. But it also depersonalizes the scriptural text. He wants to talk about the text, treat the text as a thing, dissect it, analyze it, discuss it endlessly. But Jesus, he won't play that game, does he? The scholar has just quoted words of Holy Scripture that witness to the living God that they are words to be listened to, submitted to, obeyed, and lived. So instead of inviting the scholar to join him for a Bible study in Deuteronomy or Leviticus under a nice oak tree somewhere, Jesus tells him a story. In one of the most famous stories of the Good Samaritan, you all are familiar with that story concluding as he has begun with the question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to this man? You see, the scholar was impaled by the question. The words of Scripture can no longer be handled by means of definition. Who is my neighbor? The text insists on participation. Will you be a neighbor? So Jesus insists on participation. Jesus dismisses the scholar with a command, go and do likewise. So live what you read. We read the Bible in order to live the word of God. Keep yourself unpolluted, pure. That's personal morality, guys. You see, notice when James talks about purity, he doesn't point out the despicable sins that we find so repulsive in the church building the illustrates the respectable sins of pride and anger. Now he goes into verse 26. Gossip and slander are brought out. So in the conversation in the in the church today, whether you're conservative or liberal, they find it difficult when you address these two. 
It's kind of like watching CNN and Fox News holding hands. It's the liberal and the conservative, the story of God puts together to participate in his story means you are becoming a doer of the word personally in a community so james says both are a part of what it means to participate in god's unfolding plan of redemption and renewal i see how important it is that we receive that we accept that we understand what it looks like to be a doer of the word So how do we accept it? Well, here we see that we find liberty, this freedom and blessing that the story brings, that you've got to live it out. But before you live it out, you really got to gaze in, don't you? So you've got to take it in. Verses 23 to 34, James goes on, and he uses this analogy of a man who looks into a mirror. Okay? And maybe it would have been made more sense if it was a woman looking into a mirror. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a people watcher, and I saw a gal this week and stuff. I'm sitting behind her. The light's been green for a little while, and she's still (laughs) doing up her hair, getting ready to go into work in her mirror, you know? Sat there probably a good five seconds. You might be like, that's not that long, Pastor. One, two, three, four, five. But the point regardless, guys, is that we see whether the intensity, you know, that a woman would look or a man just briefly, yeah, I'm still there. Oh, poor wife. You know, <laughs> whatever it be, it, does, it doesn't say, and I want you guys to catch the point here, it doesn't say that the man failed to change anything. It says that he went away and he forgot what he was like. So it doesn't matter how much time you spend in front of that mirror, are you going to walk away and forget who you are? Are you going to forget what God has said, who he has made you as his child, as the redeemed. You see, it says that the reason why we don't apply the word is because we forget who we are. Some of you guys might be like, this is a really good sermon this morning. This is what Christians need to hear. We need to take his word seriously and not just hear it. I want to do it. You see, guys, in order for us to look into the Word, to put it positively, in order to live it out in a way, we must first look in the mirror. Do you guys get that? There's many Christians that never pick the book up. They don't take the time to study, to read, to receive it. Because that's what Sunday mornings are for, and that's what we pay the pastor for, right? So he can prepare to teach us. No, we need to receive. And we've been talking recently how important it is for us to take the time to ponder, right? To find that downtime to reason with God. It's so important. You see in verse 25, James contrasts the man that forgot with the man or woman that looks intently into the law of liberty. So how could the law bring freedom. How does that work? Well, it shows us that we're guilty before God, doesn't it? Isn't that what the law is for? It shows us that we are guilty. There are things that need to change. We're not living according to God's plan, His ways, His 
word. So why is the man changed into being a doer after looking in the law? Because he experiences freedom. That's why. Look what the law says. Look who I am. Look what Christ has done for me to set me free from the law. I know the truth and it has indeed set me free. Now out of that freedom, I'm going to do what I couldn't do before. I'm going to love God. I'm not living for myself and my kingdom any longer. I'm living for him. You see, he lived the righteous life that God requires. And that here, guys, was the man who truly accepted the word. When a person truly accepts the word. He accepted the word humbly, but courageously. And when tempted by power comfort, he accepted the word. He was the one that was a friend of the poor and the broken. He was the one that was free from impurity and pollution. When Moses told to speak to the rock, you guys remember the story? Instead of speaking to the rock, he loses his temper, <laughs> ends up striking the rock. And we're told in the New Testament that rock was Christ. You see, Christ was the one taking the anger of man all the times that you've flown off the handle. He took the blows so that you can be forgiven. The law came through Moses, but grace and peace came through our Lord Jesus Christ. So on the cross, all of the anger, the wrath of God was upon himself. And Christ there on the cross endured it. So in Christ's righteousness and peace, they've met together and they've kissed. So when you look into the mirror and you see that's who you are, you now have the reflection of Christ by faith in him. Does that make sense? When we hear the word and receive it, when we look at the word, we are going to see that reflection. Wow, I am in Christ Jesus. I am his. I am now holy because of what he has done. This is who you are. And saint, don't forget that. That's why we need to read, receive, meditate. So what God looks at you, he sees the perfectly righteous life of his son. Isn't that cool to think about? He sees you as perfect. I don't feel perfect. I feel dirty a lot. But when I get into God's word, oh, this is what's right. This is what you have done, Jesus. This is who I am in you. He sees us perfectly righteous. And when you begin to see that, it will change you and it will cause you to live it out despite the feelings. Does that make sense, guys? Because this life ain't easy. But we're in the word. We're still going to be able to what? Stand in the truth. This is what you have said. This is what you are asking. I'm going to do it, God. So the Bible is a mirror. You've got to look in the mirror before it tells you what to do. It shows you who you are. 
A changed lifestyle flows out of radical new understanding. A radical new understanding brings a radical new lifestyle. And if you look at the Bible and say, hey, I have to forgive, I have to try harder, that's not what the Bible ever has told us to do, is it? You see, James says, if you can't be honest, kind, if you can't deal with anger, you've forgotten who you are. It says that he looks intently at the law. Do you look intently at the word of God? You see, the way to continue to preserve through is meditation. It's becoming a participant in the story. I want to look at Psalm 1 with you guys. Blessed is the man, it tells us in Psalm 1, verse 1, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So in other words, don't be hanging out with those sinners. <laughs> don't find yourself standing around, you know, where, where they hang out, where they pass by. And definitely, don't find yourself lounging with them. <laughs> but what does it say? The blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates. Once a week on a Sunday morning. Oh, you guys don't have that translation? What does your translation say, guys? Day and night. This is what the man of God does. If you want to be blessed, if you want to be happy, you meditate in the word of God day and night. And I can testify the happiest people I know in life that I've met in life, they're people of God's word. That's the one common thing that they have. They love God's word. And we're told that he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That sounds pretty cool. I want to be like that tree. Well, what does God say I need to do? I need to meditate day and night in his word. Do you want to be that type of tree? One that is strong, that is going to continue to grow and bear fruit? Be a blessing to others? It's going to be you meditating in God's word. Day and night. Joshua 1.8 the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Does that sound like a promise to you guys? Sounds like a promise to me. So, meditation is thinking a truth in, and then thinking a truth out, until it comes a, you know, becomes this idea. These ideas become big. They become sweet, moving, and affecting you until the reality of God is sensed in your heart. You see, meditation is the primary way in which we guard against fragmentation of our scripture reading into isolated oracles. Meditation is strictly speaking, neither the Bible nor prayer, rather the Bible turning into prayer. Meditation, Lectio Divina, divine reading, 
Meditation is a formative reading of the Bible rather than an informative reading. Informative reading aims mainly at breaking things down, analyzing them. What does this mean? What does this word mean? What does this word mean? And in fact, the rest of the sentence. Formative reading aims mainly at putting things together, seeing connections. That's me. What would it be like if I really did this? What kind of God would say this? In informative reading, you examine and ask questions of the text. Informative reading, the text examines and asks questions of you. Eugene Peterson said this, Meditation enters into the coherent universe of God's revelation. Meditation is the prayerful employ of imagination in order to become friends with the text. I like that. You see, meditation is where we let the images and the stories of the entire revelation penetrate our understanding. And by meditation, we make ourselves at home and a part of the conversation with everybody in the story. Entering that place where Moses and Elijah and Jesus converse together. Participation is necessary. Necessary meditation, guys, is necessary. Meditation is participation. Does that make sense? So we meditate to become empathetic with the text. We move from being critical outsiders to becoming appreciative insiders. The text is no longer something to be looked at with a cool and detached expertise, but something to be entered into with playful curiosity that of a child. So to live it out, to live out the word of God, to do that, we've got to persevere. We have to be consistent. Great. You've been a Christian for a while. You've studied that before. Oh, we're going to James chapter 1. I don't know how many times I've heard sermons on that. No. You keep taking in the Word of God continually. That is how spiritual growth is supposed to work. God says, remember the story, that you are a part of the story. Stories get you, don't they? They do. That's why I like movies. I like good movies. Growing up, I liked Superman. How many guys like Superman? Yeah. You know what Superman's about? Some guy who left his home to come to our planet to do what? To save us because we were ruining ourselves. Huh, sounds like a pretty good story, doesn't it? Yeah, I wonder why, you know? But the point is, there are just some stories that are good, you know? Um, we like hero stories. But this is the ultimate story, isn't it? As we look in to his word, we read God's story. There's no greater story. This is the ultimate story. I see all the good stories out there. They got something from the Bible, it seems like. It's like, oh, no wonder it was good, because you stole it. But anyways, <laughs> it's a ransom story, isn't it? Where the true king comes back. But oh no, <laughs> he's dying. He's weak. Hope seems gone. 
But now defeat ends up being a triumph. Jesus comes into the story. And when you believe in him, and he turns your life from a senseless random meanderings and turns it into a drama of rescue, that is why everybody who is a Christian has a testimony. Isn't that cool? But then, not only that, he also comes into your story and he makes you a part of the drama. You see, Jesus puts you into his story of renewal. He says, I'm creating an alternate kingdom with you included, and someday I'm going to renew the entirety of all creation. And it's only when I see myself in that story that my heart is melted. And self-justification, which is the root of my sin, is changed. How does that happen? Remember the story through looking into the mirror. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't try hard. If you're tempted to punch someone in the nose, you're probably not going to think about it. Right? You're going to do it unless something's changed on the inside. Ultimately, if you want to change, you've got to get the gospel into your life. That's what has to happen. He still says you have to, to rid your heart of malice, deceit, hypocrisy. Use the gospel on your heart and it will eventually turn you into one community. Okay? But we still have to try. I don't know about you guys, but I have not yet arrived. I'm a work in progress. And I don't know about you guys, but some things you can't wait until it gets done. Road work, for instance. I can't wait for some spots just to finally be finished because it's just holding up a bunch of traffic and I can't get where I need to go on time because of you. So, <laughs> But the point is, isn't it nice when it's done? We're going to arrive someday, but we're all in the process. Why are we here? What's your goal this morning? Did you come to church? Well, it's what I got to do. Did you come to church? Well... We're done with a series. Let's see what pastor has today. Are you going through this in life right now? And man, if I just get through this, or I can just get that fixed, or get out of debt. What's your goal? Guys, I believe our goal never changes in life. If you are a child of God, your goal is to become more like Jesus every single day. That is our goal. That is our priority. Well, you don't understand i got to get this fixed right. I haven't been doing so well. If I get that fixed, if I address that and get that good, then, then I can get right and start working on becoming more like Jesus. No, God's doing a work in us, guys. And if he's told us that he's going to sanctify us by truth and his word is truth, John 17, 17, you guys understand how important this mirror is? Understand how important meditation is? understand how God's grace works in our life? And doesn't that grace come by faith? Yeah. It's so important, guys, that we continue to look and knowing that our goal, hey, how am I going to be more like you today, Dad? How can I be more like you? Jesus, I want to walk like you walk. I want to love people the way you love. I want to stand in truth when it's time to stand in truth. No matter what they say, no matter what they want to do to me, because I want to be like you. 
So ultimately, guys, we need to get the word of God in. How do we do it? We humbly accept the word. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, doesn't he? I don't need Bible study. I don't need fellowship. You need the word of God. And sometimes we see that need, but we don't go to the word of God. We try to find a lot of supplements, don't we? I'll read that blog. I'll watch those videos. Go to the word. Why do you think those videos and blogs are so good? Where do they get it from? It's from the word. You see, it includes not only sensational crimes, but also everyday evils like complaining attitude, a jealous spirit, a deceitful and gossipy way of speaking, or a rebelliousness against authority. Like numerous other biblical statements, this one makes clear that repentance is not merely a sorrow of one's sin, but more fully a sorrow of one that moves one to make changes in their lives. Biblical repentance is a change of direction, turning around, uh, choice, <clears throat> choice to repudiate immorality and cry out to God saying, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Free me, save me, help me. And then we do it. Aren't we exhorted here this morning to be doers of the word and not hearers only? We humbly accept then what it means not only to believe, but then actually to act upon the word of God. For example, to accept that being quick to listen, slow to speak, really is the best course of mind when it comes to conflict. And as you meditate upon the word, you study it, you take it in, and you see the main character is Jesus, the real main character. It's about him. It's not about you. You see, the Bible is a grand story from Genesis to Revelation. With Christ as its lead character, the more we hear the story, the more we find ourselves being written into its as characters. We discover ourselves not as fading scripts of this age or in a glossy magazine images, but in the story of creation, fall, redemption, consumption. We are there with Adam and Eve. When they partake of the tree, bought into a lie, we're there with Abraham and Sarah when they're hearing believing the gospel, are justified. We are walking along with disciples, not getting it, then getting it, and then not getting it, <laughs> and then finally discovering what this journey has really all been about and all that took place. Why? And we're there with the company of heaven, worshiping the Lamb. It is the purpose of reading in the sacrament to put us there to kill our dead-end character, and to write us into God's script. The importance of applying and receiving the word of God. To be honest, guys, 
we're a Bible church. Great. If we don't do the Bible, whoop-dee-doo. Amen? So, Father, we thank you again for truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us enough to tell us how it is. You've given us ways that we can test ourselves to see where we're at. One thing I know, personally, Lord, there's always, always areas to grow in, things to change. And looking to you, Father, staying in that place, Lord, where we're tuned in to hear clearly what you are saying, Father, is so needed today. We live in a world that this <laughs> it's saying many things. We have a culture telling us things that are very contrary to what you have spoken. Father, help us to be diligent, Lord, to study your word. Being workmen that are not ashamed, but approved by you, rightly dividing it. Stir up a hunger, would you, please, Father, for each and every one of my brothers and sisters and myself in new ways. God, for your word. Amen.